Good, good morning. My name's Joe. For any of you who don't know me, I'm passionate about worship, and so I'm going to be talking to you about worship. I'm passionate about my family, and I'm passionate about sports, and uh, particularly passionate about water sports, so much so that I'm wearing my Wave t-shirt today. Uh, I was at an event the other week, and someone looked at me and said, I love your t-shirt. What does it mean? I looked at him and said, it means I like the sea. So that's, uh, that's what I want to say to you this morning. I, a couple of weeks ago, Claire bought me for my birthday a trip to go to the Wave in Bristol, which if you haven't heard of the Wave, it's the best thing in the world. It's a big lake with a wave machine that goes in rounds of 35 waves, and you can surf in this lake. And they're perfect waves, um, and it is the most amazing and most exhausting hour I've ever had of my entire life. You paddle out to the back, and there's 30 waves. You catch a wave, and then you... you you know, you're in the water, so you paddle back out as fast as you can to try and catch another one. And um, there's this break every 35 waves to let the pool settle. And the first time, you're like, man, this is really boring. I want to surf a bit more. Uh, by the end, you're like, please let the break be longer. Um, best thing ever. Why do I start by telling you about surfing and waves this morning? The reason why I want to tell you about waves is because for me, in my life, it's one of the few times where I feel fully present in that moment. And I don't know about you guys, but I am not a particularly present person in every situation. And COVID has highlighted that for me particularly. Um, The the fact that we've been on Zoom meetings, and whilst on a Zoom meeting, show of hands if you've also been multitasking and checking your emails and sending emails, making sure you're not sending emails to the people who are in the Zoom meeting so they don't know that you're not listening, yeah? Checking your to-do list, checking Instagram, doing other things at some time, maybe sorting out your shopping list for the week. We've not been fully present in those moments, or maybe you're just a better person than me. It's highlighted that multitasking and distracted sense. And there's many places in my life where I don't think I'm fully, fully present. How many people here, actually, since you've gone back to physical meetings, have lamented the fact you can't get away with multitasking at the same time? (laughs) There we go, confession at the back. How many of us are guilty of sitting and watching TV whilst also on our phones? How many of you are lying right now? <laughs> we, we do that. We've become people who consume multiple bits of information at the same time. How about people who are writing homework whilst listening to podcasts and music? It's multiple bits of information at the time. We live in a busy, fast-paced world where we're less focused and less present. In fact, there's a recent study by Microsoft, and they have done an analysis of human beings' attention span, and it has now been discovered that the average attention span of a human being is eight seconds. Which means that you all switched off from me a long time ago. (laughs) We live in a world that is full of quantity, 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 quantity over quality. The way that we consume information has changed. The way that we listen to music has changed. Um, Apparently, people used to go and buy records, and they used to sit with headphones, and they'd just listen to an album. Apparently, that's something that people did. And, uh, but now, when we, buy, we, we stream singles on Spotify all the time. We, we consume information at multiple levels. It just goes on and on in the background. In fact, the whole music industry has shifted and changed. So people don't produce albums for the art of an album anymore. People go and produce a single so that it can get playlisted. Because that's how we consume consume music. We go and find the playlist full of sorts of music that we want to listen to. And actually, you'll notice now that songs that come out don't have long artistic intros. 
Sorry to break that to you, Sim, because that's how he likes to produce music. But they don't have long artistic intros because you as a listener will switch off if it doesn't grab your attention straight away. So all music starts very quickly. Music straight into verse, verse straight into chorus. It's just the way things have moved. Film. We're not, we're not so good at long-form content anymore. The way that YouTube has changed the way we consume information. It happens fast. Edits are quick. Everything is... Sorry, I'm now going quick for Coralie. But it's quick. Everything moves at fast pace. It is rarer and rarer for us to sit and to enjoy just a TV program on their own. It is rarer and rarer for people to just sit and watch a movie for the sake of watching a movie. We're also replying to messages, sorting out the, the life admin, all that needs to go on at the same time. Quantity over quality, fast-paced, distracted, and generally half-hearted. And this morning, I'm picking up where Adam and Jan have been sharing from our first vision statement. And our vision is to be a church. Oh, is this working, guys? Ooh, that's fun. (laughs) By God's Spirit and in partnership, we are committed to becoming a community where Jesus is wholeheartedly worshipped, deeply experienced, and clearly known. So this morning, I want to look at what it means to be a people who, are, who wholeheartedly worship. And I thought the best thing for us to do would to be look at what the Bible says about worship. So um, we're going to do a bit of jumping into the New Testament translations of the word worship, because our simple, simplified English reading, when we see the word worship, we conjure up the image of what we do here on a Sunday morning. But actually, if you go back to the Greek and even to some of the translations of a Hebrew before, worship means many, many different things. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. Um, so I have to give credit where it's due and a lot of the translation and reference work is done by someone called Adam Hellier who writes on music, faith and and worship so uh, let's jump into the first word when we come to talk about worship is enos which Jesus quotes it from he's talking in Matthew 21 16 and he's quoting from Psalm 8 verse 2 and he says from the lips of children and infants you Lord have called forth your praise so talking about praise here The Greek translation is actually a translation from the original Hebrew, which refers to loud and mighty. And then in Chronicles 2, it says, The Levites and the priests praise the Lord day by day, singing with all their might to the Lord. So this is some of that that image of praise that's then taken forward. So the translation of worship is loud and mighty. Worship is something to be declared You know, when we we stand and sing the national anthem at a rugby game and the crowd is connected and they're declaring that one thing together, worship connects us as we are bold and and loud and the ground shakes when the Levites and the priests sang. Worship with all our might. That's what that word enos means. The next word, epinos. If there are any Greek scholars in the room and I'm butchering this, I'm really sorry. Epinos comes from that word enos, and it means it's the Greek word uh, epi is put on top. So it's, it's like we take the bold and the mighty loud statement of who God is, and on top of it, we're putting, uh, we're putting 
the telling of who God is. We're putting him on top. So what that means is it's not just us loud and mighty making noise together. Actually, worship in the form of epinos is for the purpose and the benefit of those around us. It becomes a storytelling thing to remind people of who God is. So in Matthew 21, 16, it says, One generation commends your work to one another. They tell of your mighty acts. This is something that when we sing, when we proclaim these words of truth, we're actually helping one another know more about who God is. Sometimes when we worship, actually, it's for the benefit of our neighbour. It's for the benefit of somebody new who's come in on a Sunday morning. And, and to be honest with you, as we've established, you've got an eight-second attention span. You won't go away from this week remembering the words that I've said. You'll go away humming the worship songs that we've sung on a Sunday morning. Because music goes beyond just hearing words, doesn't it? Music is something that we, we learn through. And actually, most of our doctrine and theology is learned through our worship songs. Worship reminds those around us who God is. It connects us together into one story, and it enables us to have a corporate moment and connection with God. So that was Epinos. The next one is Latreia. Now, I wouldn't be giving a talk if I didn't reference Romans 12 one, at least once. So Romans 12 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, the word here is latreia, which means service. And it comes from a word, actually, that means a hired servant. So this is actually like, you know, offering your body as a divine worship, like a sacrifice servant role to God. Um, this is saying that worship is not actually something that we just say or sing, or it's not a lip service that we, we pay. Actually, it's in something that encompasses our whole life. It goes beyond a moment on a Sunday morning. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Worship is something that goes beyond just this moment on a Sunday. Worship is serving God with our bodies, our lives. It becomes a 24-7 attitude. It's a posture. It's a decision. Worship is about how we commit to serve God with every aspect of, of our lives. Now, you may have a beautiful voice. You may be a great songwriter. You may be able to play the guitar. You may have great stage presence. But if you're not sold out in service to God with every aspect of your life, if you're not loving your community, if you're not seeking justice, if you're not helping those in needs and putting the needs of others above yours, then actually all you are is a singer-songwriter. Another way of thinking is, if all I ever do is tell Claire I love her, if I sing love songs to Claire and I announce my love to everyone around, look how much I love my wife. But actually I take no interest in her desires and her vision and her passion and follow and, and work towards that. And actually I do nothing to help her or serve her. Then actually it's a really narrow view of what love looks like. If all we ever do is sing, I love you God, but we don't actually come to know the heart of God and let that impact and transform every aspect of our lives, then we miss this huge part of what worship should be. Worship actually is what happens when we walk out the door on a Sunday morning after we've been singing together. The next word is proscunio. 
So Jesus meets a woman at the well in John 4. And they're talking about worship. And she tells Jesus, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And here, the word that they're using is proscunio, which literally means... Sorry, camera ops. (laughs) It means to prostrate yourself, to lie on your face, uh, to lie on the floor. And the root of this word actually comes more from like a kiss the hand. So you see the dog there licking licking a hand. It's like this idea of a dog comes to the master for food, knowing that the master could could give them food or not give them food. But they're coming like it's it's an acknowledging that God is big. I am small. God is all-powerful. I can't change who God is. I come before him. I prostrate myself and say, God, I love you. And in his reply, Jesus says to the woman, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Because he's referring to it not just being a single place, but actually it's an act of laying down everything before the king. Psalm 2, 11 and 12 says, Serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the uncomfortable part of God that we don't talk about very much because we like to associate with the nice God that the, the, everything's lovely, he loves me and he does and that's true. But also we have to acknowledge that if God is Lord and the creator of all things, he's all powerful and that we come before him prostrate and say, God, we love you. The last one is Sebamai. In Mark 7, verse 7, it says, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So Sebamai actually refers to like it's, it's more talking about devout Jews kind of following the processes of worship, or it's even referring to the Gentiles worshipping their other gods. It, it is sort of creating this image of it's like going through the motions and the actions of worship, but actually not followed up with a relationship with God. And Paul writes to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, and says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. It's like this singing and going through the motions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have a relationship with God. It's doing the acts and the gesture. And then in Mark, he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it's written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I find this one a really challenging one. Because actually, when we gather here on a Sunday, we've got a great setup. You know, we've got a brilliant band. We've got uh, a, a wonderful building and a space that we can do this together. And actually, it's really easy to come in on a Sunday and just go through the motions to be caught up in the moment. But the problem with that is, if we're not careful, we can accidentally make our, wish, our vision statement that we're becoming a church where Jesus is half-heartedly worshipped, somewhat experienced and nearly known. And that doesn't sound quite good enough to me. I joke, but actually, if we just simplify worship to being this default moment of us coming in on a Sunday morning and singing time, 
then we're actually in big danger of making worship a genre of music that you may or may not actually like very much. You know, we come in and, and, and can worship just be simplified, simplified to being the warm-up before the good stuff? Or, or actually, is it that emotional hit that I need once a week? There's various studies onto the effects of music on humans. Here's a quote from a, a medical article. Um, I haven't referenced to here, sorry. Music exerts a powerful influence on human beings. It can boost memory, build task endurance, lighten your mood, reduce anxiety and depression, stave off fatigue, improve your response to pain, and help you work out more effectively. So no wonder God gave us the beautiful gift of music. It's a good thing. It does good things for our body and our minds. And no wonder then music takes a significant role in how we engage with him. Music has been the way that people have told stories all through history. However, as we see through these translations, music is, sorry, worship is so much more than just that act. My favorite description of worship more recently is a quote by Eugene Peterson, who translated the message translation of the Bible, and it says, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. So let's think about that for a minute. It's the strategy by which we interrupt the preoccupation with ourselves. And why is this important? What happens when we're preoccupied with ourselves? We put ourselves at the center of everything. We view everything through our lens and how it affects me. We make ourselves Lord. And, and to be honest, by, there's only one Lord of my life. And that's me. No one can tell me what to think. No one can tell me what to do. No one can tell me how to behave. No one can tell me what impact that should have on my life. No one can tell me how I should spend my money. No one should tell me how I can treat the planet. I make my decisions. I'm in charge. I do things my way. That's how we're wired. But that path only leads to one thing, to destruction, to hurt, to upset, and to isolation. So what do we do? While we all sat here in this room, what we do is we surrender that lordship to Jesus. We say, Jesus, I want you to be lord of my life. Jesus, I want you to be in my decision making. Jesus, I want you to help me bring peace. I want you to bring peace to me. Jesus, I want you to be evident in my relationships. Jesus, I want you to teach me to love. I want you to teach me to be full of grace. I want you to take the reins because on my own, I screw it up. And I've done that once, twice, many times. I've said, Jesus, I want you to be in charge. And I've chosen to follow Jesus. And actually, if any of you this morning are sat here and you've never made the choice to follow Jesus, maybe today is the day that you want to do that. Maybe today is the day you want to allow Jesus to take the reins. The thing is, it's not just a one-time choice. Actually, this needs to be a daily choice. Because I forget and I get preoccupied with myself. 
I end up taking my eyes off Jesus. I end up making myself in charge again. I end up thinking about how that thing that somebody did upset me and wound me up. Or I, or I, get, I see somebody else has, has done something creative and I go, man, I'm not as good as them. I wish I'd done that. Or I get consumed in my ego or I get focused on what other people think of me. I get preoccupied with myself. Does that sound familiar to anybody else here? The problem is when I'm preoccupied with myself, I'm not focused on Jesus. And Eugene Peterson here talks about worship is, which is the strategy in where I take my eyes off of myself and I attend to the presence of God. So whether that's that proscunio lying on my face, whether that's Latreia and that serving God, or whether that's just the decisions not being about me, it's, it's that truth and declaring, God, you are bigger than all these things. Worship takes the focus off myself and puts it entirely onto God. And when we say wholeheartedly worship, that's because you can't half take the focus off of yourself because you're still claiming half the focus. Wholehearted means to put all of our focus and attention on Jesus. So going back to the surfing analogy at the start, um, you can't half paddle into a wave. If you half paddle into a wave, you don't catch it. You can't, uh, anyone who's tried skateboarding, you can't half drop into a ramp or you fall over. For anyone who commutes and you get on the train, you can't half get on a train or you get stuck in the door. You know, it's, they're, they're, they're intentional moves and decisions. You, you know, we need to be fully present in those, in those moments. And, and with, with the wave, you get an hour of paddling, and you have to be fully present right there, right then. You're fully present paddling to the back. You're fully present as you paddle to catch a wave. And believe me, it's the most exhausting thing you've ever done. And the beautiful thing here is, coming to Jesus is not a full, all-intentional, exhausting thing, because actually, Jesus simply says, I want you to be present. He simply asks each and every one of us to be here and be present. A little while ago, I was sat with somebody who was, um, who was having a panic attack. And there was somebody else sat with us who was far more experienced. And uh, they encouraged them to take off their shoes. They said, take off your shoes and feel the carpet beneath your feet. And this act actually was about understanding whatever else is going on, whatever the fears of what could be is happening, be present right here, right now. Feel where you're standing. Feel the ground under your feet. Acknowledge that you are here in this moment right now. And actually, I think that becomes a beautiful image of what worship should be for each one of us. At the burning bush, Moses is told, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. God's going, Moses, be present right here, right now. This is my ground. You're in my presence. Be here and be present. And actually, for the last few months, I've been thinking about this concept for a while and thinking about where my feet are, and, and I've been reflecting on where I am standing as a what's going on in this moment right here, right now. And it's been impacting how I spend time with God, and um, it's been kind of affecting some of my journals. And, and Actually, I'll, just, I'll read you a little excerpt of something. I was really struggling to be present and I was really struggling to give all my attention to God. So I started writing this. The soft texture, texture gently moves under each shift of my weight. 
A once clean white that's faded to a dull grey colour still feels comforting and grounding. Here I stand, hearing the sounds of the boys laughing downstairs. Claire's busy, revealed by the gentle sound of footsteps moving and cupboards closing. The familiar smells, sounds and pictures on the walls bring comfort without trying. I let go of the distractions. I shut out the noise from the outside world. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am home. God, would you help me to be someone who's fully present in my home? Would you help me to be someone who's fully present in my Zoom calls? Would you help me to be somebody who's fully present in the different situations I'm in? But more than anything, God, when we come to worship, would you help me to be somebody who's fully present in attending to your presence and saying, Jesus, it is all about you. In a minute, we're going to worship. Seems like a good idea, doesn't it? <laughs> I was thinking about how we respond to this this morning and, and thinking, what does this moment look like for us? Because worship should be one of those moments where we've not got our phones out. We're not thinking about other things in our life. Worship is a moment where we get to be right here in this moment together. God, what do you want to do? We're here to attend to your presence. And I don't know this morning whether there's anyone who actually you're saying, I've never chosen to give my life fully to Jesus and you want to do that. If you are, then let's do that together. Come and meet me down the front and let's pray that together this morning. But I actually wonder for us today whether you know that you're someone who this morning, you want to make the choice in worship to be fully present, to be right here, right now and to encounter God with everything. I wonder whether you'd be up for a slightly odd response, but we take our shoes off and we stand. We feel the ground under our feet and we acknowledge Jesus. We're right here, right now, as we come to worship together. So as, we, as the guys come to lead, and you'd like to, would you take your shoes off and stand and let's make that statement of Jesus. I'm here with you this morning. It's all about you. And may we become a church where Jesus is wholeheartedly worshipped deeply experienced and clearly known all the time. 365. Amen.